Amen. Wow. That was was a powerful time together with with you all, and I'm just so thankful for all the people in this room. And um, and if you don't know my name, my name's Mark. I'm a a bass player, um, piano player, a doctor. Um, see, most of you know me, but, uh, but I'm gonna be also a preacher today, and I have a tail, so I'm gonna put it in my pocket. Um, so, I uh, just hope you've had a great time with us this morning so far. I'm gonna, um, start preaching from the, from the word of, of, of Colossians that we've been working on this series throughout the last, I don't know, it's been six or seven weeks now. We call it Alive, Not Just Living. Um, we've seen through the book of Colossians that, that Jesus Christ doesn't call us to have this life that's just contained in a box, that's just stuck in, in, this, in, the, in this situation where we're stuck on religion, but we're really tru- truthfully called to live this life that's abundant in Christ, this technicolor life that I talked about the, the first week. And if you haven't heard any of these sermons, you've missed anything, go to the website, go to mission, themissionredlands.com or go to iTunes and, and pick up where, you le- where we left off because I don't want you to miss this because it's so important. Um, I just wanted to kind of go back though. Would, you, would it surprise you to know that you, that, because I'm a doctor, I, like, I thought I was thinking about this and um, about this life that was technicolor. And I thought, you know, many people probably didn't, wouldn't know this about, about this epidemic that's going on in America and healthcare. Does anybody know of, of the ep- epidemic that's going around? It's not the Zika virus. No. Addiction. Addiction, that's, a, that's an epidemic. It's just not the one I'm thinking of. But you're right, you're right. Um, there's, I, I actually looked up, looked up um, epidemics, and the biggest one that we talked about was opioid addiction. So very good. Um, Ebola, you know, that came and went. I'm sick and tired of asking about those questions about West Africa. Do you come from, you know, Africa? No, not. And you don't have Ebola. Don't worry about it. But it's not that. It's actually, it threatens the health, though, of Americans, and it threatens the health of each of us. Would you be surprised to know that 50% of doctors have some experience, some form of burnout? Or right now, right now as you speak, if you go to your doctor, half of them are feeling like they're burned out. Isn't that crazy? No, no, you may not know what burnout means, so let me just give you kind of a definition. The symptoms of burnout are this sense of emotional exhaustion, of depersonalization, like you don't really care about what you're doing. Can you imagine that? People that really are, are called to really take care of people just don't feel personally attached to the work anymore. And they have this reduced sense of accomplishment, like they, like they don't... They don't feel like they've done much. I mean, can you imagine that a doctor? I mean, like you went to high school and you were like the valedictorian and then you went to college and you did research and you went and did the MCATs and you passed all these tests and somehow there's a lot of doctors and I meet them every day that they just feel burned out. And I can only imagine how that sounds to you all because, you know, like, come on, doctors? I mean, you know, you've, you've got it all. You've got the dream. Um, but I think that's true about all of us, right? At some level, we all kind of sometimes feel burned out. And the thing that we're going to talk about today, because I, I, I know that when we talk about, oh, we want to follow Jesus, and, and Jesus is going to, in us, provide this you know, beautiful, vibrant life. But when it comes down to it, we all still struggle. Even as Christians, we still struggle with our, with our, own, with our own stuff, whether it's our work, whether it's our families, where we're kind of trying to, trying to be a good parent, be a good spouse. These are all things where we kind of sometimes can fall down or feel burned out. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of connect with that because 
I, I don't think we're, we're all saying that just doing this, living this life that's this technical or life, it should be perfect. And I just wanted to be careful with that because can, it can feel like that sometimes. So we've talked about this life over the past few weeks of the Jesus follower. It's not just about following the rules or living a life guided by a religious edicts, but the life of a Jesus follower is this really vibrant reflection of Jesus Christ within us. And so this vibrant technicolor life that we've all been talking about, it can seem great, but like I said, I guarantee that each of us has some part of this just doesn't feel right. We fight with our spouses or we have arguments with our kids or, or, or we have arguments with our parents. We get in fights with our boss at work or our employees don't seem like they're living up. And if you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, and there might be some of you here today, you might think, gosh, if Christians have all these problems, then what's the point of me following Jesus? I loved Ricardo's concept as he talked about this kind of new self, this new, putting on the new jersey. Does anybody remember the jersey he talked about? It was the San Antonio Spurs, right? The Spurs aren't my favorite team, Okay. But you can't argue with the success of their system. Actually, you could probably argue with their success of their system this week. They just lost to Oklahoma City. Um, you know, I'm actually hoping that the Lakers with Luke Walton become, you know, that team that we all think of as. But where did I get on a basketball tangent here? Sorry. Um, so, but if we put on that jersey of Team Jesus, as Ricardo talked about, our way of behaving just just changes a little bit, right? And it's not because we are our own willpower necessarily. It's really by accessing the power of Jesus Christ in us and through us. It's this relationship we have with our Heavenly Father, with Jesus, by seeing the world like He does, by, by seeking out what He wants for us through the Bible and through prayer. That's how we begin to see the world differently and that's how we begin to act differently. And I trust that throughout the series you've seen that through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can all begin to have this transformed life which is so much better than just religion. And I believe that we all agree and, and we talked about this today that our world needs this transformation. You know, our world right outside these doors in Redlands needs this transformation. Our world in the United States needs this transformation. Our world throughout the rest of the world needs this transformation of Jesus Christ in us. And I don't know about all of you, but I, I know that three of the things that we're going to talk about today are the things that trip many of us up. It makes us have a difficult time really showing the love of Jesus Christ to our family and to our people who are, who are at our workplace. And so these kind of issues are what we're going to talk about today as we go to, through the book of Colossians. So again, we're going to we're going to remind ourselves where we've been. So last week, Jason was talking about these important conceptual center points or guideposts which ground us in Christ. And I won't go through all of it now, but go ahead and look it up on the on iTunes or the website. But um, Paul just finishes talking to the Colossian church about compa- like living a life with compassion and kindness. Humility and gentleness and patience. Not, not like a religious checklist of things you gotta do, but, but just this, this life that's the way we treat others. But then he's like, okay, so you gotta live like this, 
And I can only imagine like Paul thinking, okay, so you guys got to do this at home first. You got to do this in your own households because that's where the, where the most relationships, those, those relationships that we need to show compassion, and it starts at home. And for me, it starts at home as well. So how, what better way to show this living life alive in Christ than by starting with our own families and in our workplace. And as we examine what Jesus says about our relationships, you know, when Jesus talked about relationships, he always talked about this private relationship we have with God, with Christ, not just being this private relationship we have with Christ, but actually changing the way we relate to others. It's like, Commandment, love God, love your neighbor. They are never separated. It was never like, okay, I'm going to love my God, love God, love God, love God, and we'll just get to that when we get to that. Love our neighbor. No, it was always, you've got to do this and this. So that's what Paul's talking about as we talk today. And another thing as I was reading through this part of the scripture, I was, I was struck by the, the um, kind of the difference in culture from the first century to the 21st century. I think we can kind of get stuck stuck on some of these words that we see in the, in the scriptures right here. And I don't want us to do that because we're going to miss something if we get stuck on words like, you know, wives submit or even the, the concept of slavery in that time was, it was it's just really difficult for me as I, as, I, as I read through these scriptures. Sometimes I get stuck in my 21st century mind and I, and I don't, I miss what Paul was trying to get at. And so that might happen to you today and I'll try and remind ourselves as we go through that. One of the key pieces of this part of the scripture is that it's actually addressing both sides of relationships. A lot of times in this in the first century, you know, the people who had power, people, you know, the, the men in the in the in the relationships, or the parents in the parenting relationship, in the family relationship, or the master in the master slave relationship, the people with the power were the ones that were kind of let off the hook. And, and I think that the key to this part of the scriptures is that Paul doesn't let those people off the hook. He starts by saying the obvious, and then he flips it on his head. So we're going to get into this right now. We're going to start reading from Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, and then through to chapter 4, verse 1. So start with, with uh, this one, which is wives... We're going to get this up here right now. I promise. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. And so I think we can just bring the ushers on forward and I'll just walk out now because that's pretty much what... No, I'm totally kidding. We were actually going to do this last week on Mother's Day because I thought... But I didn't figure anybody would come back if we did that. So, um, no, wives submit to your husbands. I mean, that was kind of the obvious one, right? In that culture, that would have been just kind of like, yeah, we know, obviously. You're supposed to submit. And seriously, I know this can be really a touchy subject, actually. So I'm not making light of it. I, I know that sometimes in the Bible we can get these verses and we're just like, really? Submit? I think the word submit really is talking about respect at this point. And if we get stuck on submit in the, in the NIV word, we're going we're gonna to get, get lost in what Paul is trying to get at. So let's go on to the next verse, which I think is... The one that I need the most, which is this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So again, Paul's in much the same way like Jesus would do when he would give the Sermon on the Mountain. He would say something like, 
you've heard it said this, but I say this. Paul's doing kind of the same thing right here. He's saying, he's saying, look, I know you think wives need to just submit, but husbands, you got to love just the same. And that was the revolutionary concept at the time. So it's like, wives, respect your husbands, obviously, but wait, there's more. Husbands, you've got to love your wives. And, and the thing about this is that I've got some good news about Christian marriages because I think we've had this wrong for a long, long time. How many people have heard the statistics about Christian marriage and compared to secular marriage? And if I was to ask you, how often do Christian marriages get divorced compared to, to secular marriages? I bet you most of you would say exactly the same. And actually, this has been some new research that's come out within the last five years or so where they looked at those initial studies and said, you know what, that's not actually true. In fact, marriage in general in the, in the United States, we think um, if you really look at this, the statistics, it's not 50% like we, like we initially thought, that 50% of marriages end in divorce. If you ask... Each person in the United States who's married say, are you married to your first spouse? Actually, 72% of, of people who are married would say they're married to their, their first spouse. And that's some, like a, a shock. Isn't that right? Like, like we've all heard this terrible news about marriage in our culture, and especially in Christian culture. Um, and it almost makes it feel like, well, if this is true, if, God, if God's telling us to love our, love our spouses and respect each other mutually, well, it's just not working. But truth is, actually, in, Christian, in people who actually consider themselves Christ followers or people that say would go to church, the, the risk of divorce is decreased by 25 to 50%. So if you think about that, and I know that's not all everybody. There's still people that have trouble. But I just want to encourage you about the fact that Christian marriage, marriage that's, that's, that looks like this, is so much better than what our culture tells us. Because people who mutually respect each other and love each other in this way, they start seeing each other's needs differently. It's like this mutual respect and love. It can truly give us the most joy. If those of you aren't married, trust me, it's going to give you the most joy in your whole life to be married to somebody who trusts you and loves you, cares for you like Jesus cares for you. If you think of it like that, it's so different. Because as we focus on Christ's love for us, as that transforms our lives, we start loving our, our wives and our, and our husbands like Jesus loves us. We start forgiving more. We start, you know, not holding grudges. We're kind to each other. We have compassion for the things that our, our husbands or our wives are going through. And we take out the trash when we're asked. That's not in the Bible, I, but Adrienne keeps telling me that it is, so I'm, I'm going to find it somewhere. But the point is that Christian marriage relationships are characterized by putting the other person's needs above our own sometimes. And like saying, no, you first. No, you first. Like, I care for you like Christ cares for me. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to say, I'm right, you're wrong. So, 
The marriage relationship, I believe, is the most important relationship in the family, but we're going to focus on some other relationships within families and within our own lives. So we're going to focus on the next most important relationship in our life, which is our relationship with our kids. And again, the next verse comes up. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And that's like one of the Ten Commandments. So again, one of the Jewish church would have been, people who were, who were Jewish at the time, who would have known this, would have been like, Duh, you know. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Of course you're supposed to obey your parents. But then Paul says this. And he says it to fathers, and I don't know why he says it to fathers. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Do not embitter your children, or they're going to become discouraged. And I'm not sure why he just addresses fathers, but how many of you, and I'm not looking for raised hands or anything, but how many of you have ever felt discouraged by something your parents did or bitter about something? I know. It seriously changes how people are able to have a relationship with their parents. And we've all been children, and we all know that we're supposed to to, to listen to our parents and obey them. That's, that's, that's the obvious thing. But I want to talk for a moment to parents. Okay? And some of you may not be parents yet, but you want to be parents. Some of you shouldn't be parents yet. Looking at my... <laughs> looking at my uh, nephew up in the front row here. So I'm totally not trying to embarrass him, but anyways... I know there's like a broad group of people here in this room, right? There's people that, like I said, don't want to be parents. Some people that shouldn't be parents. Some people that are parents, wish they weren't parents. Um, there's people like me who have twin five-year-old, five-year-old boys and a twin two-year-old girl. Actually, there's nobody like that here with five-year-old twin boys. But you get the picture. There's people that have kids in, that are toddlers and people that have kids in, in grade school. There's people who have teenagers who are going to college, scaring me. And there's people who are grandparents who've been there and done that and have the grandkids to show for it. And in fact, my own parents are in the room, so I don't want to say, like, act like I know everything about parenting, okay? Because I don't. Um, but I think Paul has something really important to say here. He's talking about preserving our relationships with our kids. And I know that kind of sounds like making friends with your kids, and it's not true. We're not trying to make buddies with our, with our kids, but... To not make them bitter and not discourage them, that's a super important thing. And I, I think sometimes we think about the goal in parenting. And when I was younger, when, I, when Adrienne and I were just pregnant with our first daughter, we, I remember this. I remember sitting, specifically this story, I was sitting in Applebee's with, with Adrienne. She's pregnant. And she's like, you know, a month or two away from having a baby. And I saw these, to- these parents with the toddler. And the toddler was kind of running around the table in Applebee's. And I was just like, when we're parents, that will happen. Oh, how much I had to learn. When you have twins, you just hope they haven't broken anything before. Um, yeah, so I think at that point I thought that the goal of parenting was actually to make sure that my kids didn't embarrass me or that they did the right things and they, they, did all the, they followed all the rules. 
But I found out later on that that's, that's not the goal at all. And Paul, again, is getting at this point. This, this, the most important goal in parenting, I believe, is really preserving this relationship with our kids so that when they're big enough that they don't have to listen to you, but they want to listen to you. And the only way you can have influence over your kids when they're big enough to just say, yeah, whatever, Mom, is to have relationships that they actually value and not to make them bitter at you and not to make them discouraged with you. That they trust you. If you don't build relationships with your children and just simply use the fact that you're bigger and stronger than them to influence them, then there's going to be a time when you're no longer bigger and stronger than them and the because I said so won't matter anymore. And it's not to say that our, our children don't need boundaries and consistent correction and making sure that they're staying true to what they should be. But I think sometimes, and it happens to me too, we're more... We're more um, intent on making sure that our kids obey us than they are than we are about preserving that relationship. Because I, I hope that when my kids get into college and beyond that, I, that they'll come to me and say, hey dad, what do you think? There's this, there's this girl, you know, what do you think? And I hope that I'll have some influence. I, I know that I'm not going to have all the influence. They get to make the choices. It's not like you get to make your choices for them. But hope that they'll listen to me in that moment and want to get my opinion. And I also hope that they'll come and want to visit us, you know, for Christmas and stuff too. So that's what I'm hoping for. I do. I love hanging out with my parents. So they work. it worked for them. But uh, again, it's not to say that it's going to be perfect, okay? It's not to say that if your kids aren't obeying you or that things aren't working out well that you haven't done this right. But I just want to make sure that we all realize that this bitterness that, that maybe you and each of us in some way have, have felt towards our parents at some time, we want to not foster that. We won't, don't want to discourage our kids from trusting us. So... Well, for what's, what that's worth from a parent who's got only, you know, twin five-year-olds. I don't have much to say about that, but that's what I hear from Paul. And finally, we get to this weird section of Scripture, and I, I really just wish I could skip this part, actually. Because um, it talks about slavery. And, and when I listen to it, it feels almost like, you know, is Paul really saying this is okay? Is he saying, like, slaves, it's okay to be a slave? It just, it's just it doesn't always sit well with me, and so I don't, I, I understand that. I totally get that. It doesn't feel right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this part anyway, because we don't get to skip any part of the scriptures, and I'm going to kind of help us through it a little bit. So, so the next verse up, up here is, it says, slaves. And if I was talking to slaves at that time, I would have said, slaves, get away. <laughs> slaves, run. But that's not what he says. Um, so Paul says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Not, not for human masters. 
since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as it's as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there's no favoritism. So, so Paul starts by saying, look, obey your earthly masters, kind of like he did with obey your parents. But, but then he says, then he flips it on its head here as well. He says, you know, he, he meets the slaves where they're at because I, I can only imagine this being 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 somebody who was a slave. I couldn't only imagine putting myself in that in their shoes. They were just part of the family actually at that time. And if you were looking at that person eye to eyeball to eyeball, you would you would want to help them in some way. And that's what I think Paul really meets these people where they're at. And Jesus meets us where where we're at as well. I mean, we still have slavery in this country now. It's, it's, it's sad. Um, if you've seen the, the trafficking of humans um, on the news at all, you see that this isn't just an old problem. This is still a problem. But Jesus still died for those people, and he still came to make their lives different as well and to change their lives as well. So he's talking to these slaves and he's saying, look, I believe that if you look at your work as if you're working for Jesus, it's going to change everything. It it doesn't mean you're not going to be a slave anymore, but it's going to change everything. And I wouldn't equate the two, but as we kind of go back to my first story about physician burnout, you know, sometimes we at work, even now, feel like we're enslaved. I don't know, does anybody feel like their boss is a, is, has you in slavery? Any bondage? I mean, you just hate your job. I mean, we're all on this continuum of, of being either a slave or a, or a worker or a, or a boss, right? In this continuum of manager versus worker. And I think Paul has something to say for us as well. It's not like like this doesn't matter to us today. Because if we do our work as if we're doing it for Jesus, it just changes what our work looks like. And it's not to say that your boss should be able to treat you poorly like that. Or that slavery is okay. But, but that by having Jesus Christ in us, it can change how we think about it. And it can truly change our lives. By being filled with life in Christ, our work takes on a new meaning. Even if it feels like it's boring, like cleaning toilets. That was my first job. I was cleaning toilets at our church. You know, so that seemed boring. But if I could do it for Jesus, it changed how I I thought about it. I wish I had thought about that then. But uh, I don't know. I I mean, even for me now, by the time I've seen a 14th person come in and complaining of stuff he knows, uh, you know, sometimes feels like I'm... I need to see this as a diff- above that, though. I need to say, Jesus, thank you so much for giving me this job, and I'm doing this for you. It just changes the way I see it. It's hard, but it is. So finally, he talks to masters, and he says, Masters, provide your slave with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Again, he always speaks to the people with no power first, and he says, Yeah, but you guys who think you have it all together, you guys with all the power you have it even harder. And this is one here too. 
Paul is asking us, even if we are, like I said, some of us are bosses in our jobs. You know, some of us are, are managers. And you need to treat people fairly. And that's, and, and, and truthfully because Jesus is, is, is asking us to. Jesus is, is different, makes us different. So, as we kind of sum up this portion of scripture today, um, Jesus changes the way we see our relationships. Not just our relationships with our spouses, but our relationships with our kids, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our boss, and and our relationships with our employees. Every person you come into contact with, with this new Christ life that we have, every person we come into contact with has, has a different meaning now. And this is where the rubber meets the road for all of us, right? See, how does our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ translate into our horizontal relationships with others in our family and in our workplace? Because it's easy to say that you're doing all the religious things right. You know, you're praying and you're reading the Bible and you're going to church and you're giving to the poor. But Paul knew that if, if, if it didn't translate into anything different in your life, if it didn't change how you lived in your family, if it didn't change how you lived at work, it didn't mean much. And it's, again, why Jesus calls us to love God and love our neighbor. He doesn't say just, you know, go around and love everybody. He says, love God. And because of that, then love your neighbors. It's like the horizontal relationships you have with others comes from this tapping into Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian and, and, and you're looking for a transform, transformed life, if you're looking for your relationships to just work differently, there's no better way than to look to Jesus Christ. He will transform your life and you will transform the life that you have with others. Seek Jesus because He is the only one who can truly bring life to these areas of your life. Seek Jesus because He's the only one. He's the only one that can truly bring life to those areas of your life that you're struggling with. And what would it look like if we did this in our own, in our own world? What would it look like in our families if we did this, if we, if, we, if we lived like this, we tapped into Jesus Christ to love others, people would begin to take notice, right? You know, the life that we have in Christ Jesus, it would be evident to all of us, to all those around us. And so this week, I just want us to challenge us to take this kingdom life we have in Jesus Christ and, and share it with our families in our, in our work so that our spouses will look at us and say, gosh, you look... You seem different, invigorated or something. Our parents will, will see us living life a little bit differently, with a little more purpose and with a little more caring for each other, compassion. And our kids will see us in a new light. They'll say, what's gone into you, Mom? What, what happened, Dad? What, what are you doing? And our boss will look at us working and he'll be like, wow, that guy's really seeing things differently. She really cares about her job. And our employers will wonder, you know, what, what got into them. You know, it's that, it's that life that we live 
in Jesus Christ that is really truly our biggest witness to those around us. So let's go out into the world and, and be alive, not just living. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for preserving this letter to some early Christians in a church just like this one so many years ago. God, we know that we need you. We know that we need you in our lives to transform our relationships with our, with our families. God, help us to be better husbands and wives. Help us to see our spouse as you see our spouse. God, as as children, I just ask that you would help us to obey our parents, to respect what they have to say. And more so, God, as a parent, I just ask that you would transform our relationships with our kids so that we don't embitter them. We don't discourage them, but allow them to trust us so that when those difficult times in life come for our kids, that they will, we will have some influence on them, God. And God, in our workplace, help us to see our work as you see our work, as living a life full of you that we would do everything in your name. And God, as the ushers come today, we just ask that you would bless our time of giving. May what we give be multiplied as, as, you, as you did with the five loaves of bread and two fish, God. May it Reach Redlands. May the gratitude that we have for your love reach the whole world because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.